1: Welcome to the Lord's Podcast with Will Rowe. Well, Welcome along to the latest edition of the Lord's Podcast. As winter creeps in here at St John's Wood, we look forward to the ashes as the return series begins down under, discuss sport and cricket psychology following the first London Sports Writing Festival and reflect on MCC's most recent cricket tour, to Gander. In the history section of the podcast, we catch up with former England spin bowler, deadly Derek Underwood, as he remembers taking wickets galore at the home of cricket and going on tour to Australia. Well, we're up here in the J.P. Morgan Media Centre looking out at the ground today, and it's my great pleasure to welcome my co-host this month, a former Ashes-winning captain, Middlesex captain. He currently works for the England and Wales Cricket Board as the Managing Director of Cricket Partnerships, and last but by no means least, he's the new MCC President, Mr Mike Gatting. Welcome. Good morning. How are you doing? Very good, thank you mate. What's it like being at Lords on a, on a winter's morning?
2: Well, it doesn't look too wintry. Uh, I mean, there's not a cloud in the sky. You could almost play cricket, probably. And the, the, the ground's looking great, Nick, because uh, I think we've had some great ground weather for, for the season. It just looks like uh, it's almost ready to start again. But uh, I'm sure Mick will be looking forward to just giving it a bit of a rest. But uh, No, it's always lovely to be here. The flag's flying up there very proudly. And, um, yeah, it's sunny.
1: Your first month? And how's it
2: been as president? <laughs> I've probably done more revision this first month than I ever did at school for any exams when it came down to um, my first meeting, the SGM. I've been to, obviously, one or two very, very nice dinners. Um, We had the uh, World Championship of uh, Real Tennis, um, and that was uh, really uh, quite special, that um, the two guys uh, really played uh, extremely well and kept us entertained for uh, about three and a half hours. And then we had a wonderfully colourful... uh, Armed Forces uh, dinner as well, uh, Cricket Society, one or two others, um, but it's, it's really been uh, quite special, I think the, the, the Wisdom um, Cricketer uh, uh, dinner was quite good too, so it's been busy, uh, yeah. we've just got through the first month and um, we've uh, probably got the busiest coming up obviously with a, with a tour to Australia and we'll be out there
1: obviously with a few members too,
2: um, just seeing uh, how they tour
1: was was it like going to australia as a tourist
2: um it is quite special you, you know it's quite special um, when you get out there they make sure you know you're you're in australia and they they make sure they know that uh, you're going to get beaten by the aussies because you're poms and uh, uh and it's um very very competitive almost uh, bordering aggressive at times but uh, uh they do like if they do like you they like you and they mm. they tell you so and they respect you for what you've done and i think that's um Really, the the thing you try and do when you leave Australia is to earn their respect, um, you know, um, and hopefully you, you might have won doing it. Um, if you haven't, um, haven't won, but I still think they respect people who who do have the attributes that they think are the the right attributes for for being an international cricketer.
1: And Andrew Strauss, of course, won down there recently. But before that, you were the last captain to, to lead an England side to victory. I mean, that must be something you're very proud of.
2: Yeah, very proud. You know, you don't have to go down there, um, especially when you were told there's only three things you couldn't do That's bat, bowl, and field—which um, was quite, uh, quite extraordinary. Um, just before you'd even started the tour, I me, mean, um, it, it was, it was, it was, was quite special. Um, and you don't quite realise how special it is till you get at home. Actually, um, you can see when you're out there the the crowds sort of growing. I mean, the expat crowds, not the not the Aussie crowds. And when they start showing tennis um, on the big screens, because they're not doing so well in the <laughs> cricket, you know you've actually done a good job. Um, and it was not just the the Test Series we won, but we did manage to win the, the other two one-day competitions. I don't think it'll ever happen again, because there were three competitions, which was the Perth Challenge and obviously the World Series. But um, playing against the sides we had to, which is you know Pakistan, Australia, um, the West Indies, um, in India probably the only side there that uh, you know could have been uh, if you like probably in the top four or five at the time. Um, so it was a, a very 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 special trip yeah very special trip and uh, a lot of people played awfully well and the nice thing was because you only had sort of um, 16 players uh, you had to get through. Um, you didn't have one day players coming in or T20 players coming in or or whatever so there were 16 of us and uh, we managed to get through 40, four and a half months. And win everything. So it was a it was a huge effort by everybody concerned on that trip, and it was uh, tremendous.
1: Long old tour. And um, your current work at the ECB uh, I've got here, managing director of cricket partnerships. Uh, it's been quite
2: interesting because now I'm more involved in the in the recreational game, um, trying to change a few th- things there, trying to help uh, the cricket boards become high performing cricket boards, and um, trying to sort of um, get people to understand that. Um, insight is an important thing and how we use insight to find out what our customers want and also media i mean the, the social media is just huge and and people don't uh, do things um even on emails these days it's all facebook and twitter so you know getting people to understand that that's absolutely um you know enormously important so you need people within your organizations who who are comfortable <laughs> doing that so there's a huge thing so yeah apart from all the sort of schools and the and the and the clubs and Funny facilities, women's and girls' disabilities. It covers a whole lot, and uh, I've got a great group of people called our Partnership Management Team, and, and they look after the coaching, and they look after the umpiring and, and the funding facilities, etc. So it's a, it's a really uh, good group, very talented people in there, and very passionate people.
1: It's great that you just mentioned Twitter, because it, it flows quite nicely into what we're about to do now. Um, when we found out that you were happy to come on the podcast, um, we went on Twitter, on the Home of Cricket account, And we've got a few questions for you, so we're just going to fire through them if that's okay. So this one's from John Peachy. He says, ask Mr Gatting, does he remember June pouring tea over him at Kent? I was the chef.
2: I do indeed. It was quite a painful affair. Sadly, I mean, uh, June was a lovely lady and she'd been down at Kent and been, uh, um, if you like, the tea lady. And and we all got a great respect for tea ladies. Ladies, and um, you know it was just one of those very sad things. She had just got out a a nice fresh pot of tea for us, and uh, she was proudly coming along to pour it over uh, into my cup. And I think one of her heels got stuck in the in the floorboards, or or, or something happened. She just got it in in a mat or something, and and uh, she just sort of tripped up. And it was the old comedy sketch of just being thrown all over my chest. (laughs) Now, fortunately, I just had a t-shirt on, but it was so hot; um, uh, it really was quite. amazing and i think for the rest of the afternoon i sort of sat down with sort of ice packs intermittently on and off my chest to to stop the sort of blistering and stuff so it was um it was a bit of a premature end to that that game cricket for me but um uh, i do remember it very well and i know june's a lovely lady and she was so upset and she was beside herself but uh, you know accidents happen but it was uh, it was rather painful <laughs>
1: uh, our next question is how many mcc out matches will you be playing in 2014
2: do you know what? I haven't even thought about it. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, there's so much going on at the moment. I think when I took over, you know, there's, there was obviously the SGM, and, and then there was Australia going to be looming quickly, and you got our club dinners and, and the mm-hmm. meetings, and and then all, the, all the, the sort of functions you have to go to. So I hadn't really thought about that. I suppose perhaps once I'm watching cricket over in Australia, I'll see how fit I can get myself on my month's trip and, uh, and see where we
1: get to. But um, I'll try and play one or two. I'm sure. Fantastic. I'm sure you've been asked this one before, but it's from Paul Garwood. Fastest bowler you've ever faced? Well, I think there were probably two, two,
2: two, well, There were three three spells by different bowlers, which I suppose, depending on what period of time of your cricketing career they, you face them, they, they do tend to sort of have a, a resonance about them. But certainly, the first one was in my young days when Michael Holden was bowling in one of my first uh, um, test matches, and that was at Old Trafford, and I thought he bowled very, very quick there. Although having bowled very quick um, four years earlier at, uh, at the Oval, I know he bowled mightily quick, and that was that was one where you know it was um, it was quick. <laughs> um, uh, the other one was um, Sylvester Clark at the Oval, and Silvers could bowl quick at many at many many times, but this one was probably the only time I hadn't seen a cricket ball, and I sort of just almost stuck my head, and I, it just flicked the helmet and and uh, went for sort of one bounce four to the Pavilion, um, and that's quite a long way back and. Um, uh, only, it, it nearly was six actually leg-bys, that's how, how it was. And the next ball was very similar. Fortunately, I, I saw that one, and the, it's amazing how the senses and the, the brain sort of, you know, climatizes so quickly. And this one just brushed the, the side piece I was getting out of the way of it. And that too sort of went for four leg-bys. So that was quite a quick spell for about <clears throat> five or six overs. And then Alan Donald, um, you know, a lot of members probably will remember when uh, Kirtley Ambrose ran in and bowled that first ball that bounced off a length and went straight over Michael Atherton's head at uh, at Edgbaston. Um, we had to play on that wicket about after they'd finished. It finished in three days so it didn't get much use. So they used it in a one-day match and uh, Alan Donald uh, was bowling and um, um, it is quite a short boundary at Edgbaston if you're backing onto the pavilion there or the old pavilion that is and he, he wasn't he was only about 10 yards shy of the boundary um, that was how quick it was and that was only in a one-day match so they were three of the spells that uh, I can remember being
1: very very quick So, holding Clark and Donald. That's Mm. free. Amazing. Um, Do you think media hype is getting in the way of the game? That's from Kim Parker.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
2: Is always there, um, you know, we I think possibly went through probably one of the worst periods of media in the 80s, um, it really got quite horrible really, um, uh, sort of went up the ladder from sort of um, communal garden cricketers like ourselves up to sort of captains and then managers and then sort of politicians and sadly got up to the royal family. So there was that sort of uh, uh, bid in there, there'll always be uh, m- media hype, I think they're, they're getting much better. Um, they still do some strange things and they still still have that ability to be uh, quite caustic when they want to be. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing is, the media's there. It's always going to be there. You've got to try and deal with it. Um, hyping up games, well, that's how they sell papers. So they, I suspect they have to. So it's just, I suppose, all we ask for, as, as cricketers or any sportsman does, is, um, you know, they want to want to see the, the game reported on sort of... Um, Clearly. yeah. And if there is criticism we have, make sure it's fair, you know. And and um, and that's all I think you can ever ask for. And, and as a player, you've got to accept that because you know if you play badly, and if they say you have, then you've got to accept that. There's no point, you know, reading in the paper you play badly, knowing you have, and then getting really upset about it. So the players have got to sort of um, take that on board as well. It's so a two-way street. It then. is a two-way street, and I think if you can always remember that, um, you know, within reason. Um, you know that the papers are generally okay, and you know, it's, it's going to be so important this winter. There was a bit of friction this summer with the mm. with the teams and uh, or the team, the England team, and the, and the press. And I think they've got to really calm that down because you don't want your own press on your back when you're touring, especially when the Aussies are going to be on your back from 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 ball one. So um, I hope there's been a charm offensive somewhere. I think there has been, and I'm hoping that that will have just calmed. That people just got to understand that. There's certain things you can and can't do these days. There's TV cameras everywhere, there's CCTVs, you know, there's, there's, there's phones. I mean, phones are the biggest bane where they can take photographs and record record conversations and all sorts. Great if you're doing it business. When it's done sort of underhandedly or yeah. whatever, it causes problems. But um, as I say,
1: you've just got to be careful. You know they're out there, and, and sadly, you've got to try and be as careful as you can. Next question, just is from Linda Alexander. Any regrets about South Africa?
2: I suppose yes you'll always have, have regrets. I mean I love playing for England and um I couldn't for three years. Um sadly circumstances, um you know, you never get forced into doing something. 'cause you've always got a choice but um the choices um didn't seem particularly good um at the time. And um, you know, yes, I suppose um missing missing out playing for England um for three years was, was, was difficult. Um
1: And finally, a bit of a silly one, but Sausage Sandwich, Red or Brown Sauce. That's from Mark Crang. Uh,
2: Mark, well, obviously wasn't listening to the radio about uh, a month and a half ago. It might be even longer than that, I'm not sure. But uh, uh, I was on the show, sadly showed myself up because I got got, uh, stage fright when I was asked about uh, Oliver and trying to uh, uh, recollect some of the songs. And um, um, I just couldn't uh, get the head round. uh, And it's one of my favourite musicals, so I should have known quite a few of them. Uh, and could only sort of blurt out one or two. I should have got at least five or six. Um, and I did tell them whether I liked red or brown sauce. And so, uh, Mark, uh, perhaps you bred R somebody
1: because I'm not going to tell you. Find out. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Well, last month MCC sent a touring party to Uganda for a couple of weeks. The tour was a huge success as the club helped develop cricket in the heart of Africa. As the Ugandan national team were preparing themselves for their ICC T20 World Cup qualifiers. Here's Uganda coach Johan Rudolph talking to me in Kampala during one of the 50 over games. We enjoy every moment of the guys' presence here and we need to from the coach, from my
0: side, any my assistant coach and the players to make use of this opportunity, speak to the guys. I mean some of the guys play top level cricket. And like I always said, you never afraid, never stop learning in cricket. You never stop. The day you stop and then you just go and play bowls or tennis or something else. <laughs> It's a learning process, and the, keep is, the, the, the game is just moving forward all the time. I think we'll always have a legacy, MCC in Uganda, and hopefully the guys will come back. Uh, I, hope and I trust that you guys have been treated very well here also. You had a enjoyable trip. I believe the people went out of their way, and I mean, if there's always the possibility of a Kenya or an Namobie or a Uganda, hopefully Uganda will be first on the list again. This is a a tour for you guys, so it will be brilliant to host you
1: guys again here within a year or two. Johan Rudolph, Uganda's national coach, they're discussing the recent trip to Uganda. Uh, Mike, how important are these tours?
2: Yeah, they're hugely important. I mean, I think uh, um, the MCC, by by nurturing these sort of trips and sending teams over, uh, gives one um, parts of the world the recognition that they're actually playing cricket because the MCC does um, gladly hold that sort of... um, um, if you like, uh, air of, of, of being the cricket club in the world, and, and when MCC turn up, people sort of uh, take notice, and um, it, it really is quite good. But you know, MCC teams do really um, enable the, 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 the sort of focus to be put on an area perhaps where uh, it, it needs some help to get that focus, to get some attention, to, to get people sort of to back it and to grow it. And, and I think that's what the tours do. They 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 get that sort of attention. They they get uh, um, a bit of inspiration. Certainly, I hope the people do who who play against the MCC teams of, you know, how important we the MCC think those countries are to cricket, who are nurturing our great game. So, um, yeah. Uh, and I think also it, it's sort of important how the guys themselves who are representing the MCC uh, react and, and how they play the game. And and, and they've got to remember that. Um, you know, MCC in the spirit of cricket and, and I hope um, you know, the guys when they're on tour do respect their, the people they're, they're touring and visiting and, and, um, and do try and help them as much as they can
1: Absolutely, well the MCC plays over 500 cricket matches a year and sends around four touring parties abroad each year to help develop the game as well as a women's tour every second year um, One country that we've watched sort of a real success over the last few years has been Afghanistan um, they played MCC in, M- in Mumbai <laughs> back in 2006 and beat them. You were playing in that game. Um, it's quite a story, isn't it? It, it is, and, uh, you know, I didn't get too many of that game
2: either. There were <laughs> some very talented critters here. One, one young man I got about 100 in, I think, about uh, 12 overs. And uh, sadly, we dropped him in the first one, I suspect. But um, um, it was one of those... Um, yeah, it, it is. It's a huge uh, credit to the club, to, to MCC. Uh, Matthew Fleming and uh, had a huge amount to do with it and uh, was, uh, along with others, um, really... Enabled Afghanistan to um, to actually, if you like, grow very quickly. And, and if you think it's it's almost been ten years, but in ten years they've now made it to a World Cup qualifier uh, finals. And 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 you just think, blimey, you know, how's that happened? Yes, they're on the border of Pakistan, and yes, they've got some wonderful cricketers. But to actually get an infrastructure together and some cohesion um, to get to international level and get to a World Cup. Um, it's huge credit to everybody involved and uh, obviously huge credit to Matthew uh, and the MCC um, at the time for really taking the initiative and, and, and seeing the, the ability and the desire to actually play the game. You need that passion and desire to, mm-hmm. to really do something like this and um, um, a bit of help along the way just shows how MCC can influence and, you know, and, and help. And it's really up to the passion of that particular country to, to, to see how far and how quickly they can get.
1: I know Johan Rudolph, the coach of Uganda, looks to Afghanistan as a real success story, and obviously you can't emulate exactly how they've done it, but it's, it's it's one that he looks at. He also looks at Ireland as well, there's the two smaller nations uh in his mind pulling away slightly from the other cluster. He wants Uganda to go with them. Yeah, it, it does, but it
2: takes that uh, that structure, that infrastructure, the as I say, the, the people running the game and and the coaches and and, and that desire and. And how quickly, you know, Ireland have, have been tremendous, haven't they? I mean, mm. they've, they've uh, produced three England players, dare I say it. Um, and, and, and um, you know, had you, had you not taken perhaps those guys out of the Ireland side, would Ireland have sort of be where Afghanistan are now? I don't know. But um, certainly uh, it, it is um, interesting that both Scotland and Ireland, but Ireland seem to have really sort of got their act together and are really taken it away. And it's good to see so many Irish lads playing. I mean, that to me is a real big thing. Is that the the uh, the country itself has, has taken taken a, a shine to it, and and there's a passion about it now as, as much as there is other things in Ireland, whether it be rugby or anything else, or the hurling or whatever, um, or the Gaelic football even. But you know, there seems to be that recognition now, and I think I think that's um, you know what 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 is needed, and I think um, Spain, for example, have just been recognised. Um, by their government, as, as cricket being a sport, and so now they're going to start getting some, <laughs> hopefully, some extra support um, from the government, and, and hopefully they will start being able to grow too. So where it uh, where that where there is that passion, that desire, and that, that infrastructure um, t- to push, um, I, I do believe the game itself does help nurture those people that really want to want to push through, and and hopefully it, it will always be the same.
1: Now I'm going to take a slightly off-piste and we're going to talk about football briefly in the middle of a cricket podcast at Lords. So um, we'll see how this goes. But it's after last month, uh, Lourdes successfully hosted the first ever London Sports Writing Festival. The four-day event was run by MCC in association with David Luxton Associates and saw some top sporting names and journalists hold fascinating panel discussions for audiences here at the ground. One in particular centred around the footballer, Lionel Messi, and the psychology needed in sport to get to the top. Messi biographer Guillaume Balague and former Chelsea manager Avram Grant chatted late into the night about the superstar. Here Balague describes how an impatient young Messi risked everything for success. Where does
0: all this come from? And what it comes from is from the very strange upbringing that they had. And that's what I'm saying by... If I had a kid, I would just, I don't want him to be a player. Because this kid, imagine yourselves at 12, 12, or your child at 12. He comes and says, I want to go to Australia, and you all have to come with me. And my brother, my two brothers have to come with me. My sister has to come with me. She's five, but never mind. We're coming to the other side of the world because I want to be a footballer. At 13, 12, you don't even know if he's going to be a footballer. The family take the decision to go with him to Spain from Argentina, leave everything behind. That means everything. It's not like, and I'll get a disease and go and see my cousin later on in the week. No, no, it's like leaving everything. And then six months later, mom cannot adapt, sister cannot adapt, and one of the brothers cannot adapt. So they have to go back to Argentina. All of a sudden, the family is broken broken family at 12, and you know, as a 12-year-old, that you've done that, and that you make sure that you, you you are successful in what you're doing, because if you don't, you destroy your family, and you destroy your life, really, in a way.
1: Writer again, Balagay there, on how a young Lionel Messi decided to uproot his whole family to follow a football dream. Avram Grant then told the audience why his son didn't make it as a footballer.
3: My son was in a training here in some club. I don't mention the club. It was <laughs> Arsenal. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, don't, please don't tell it to my wife. I uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, they played against a team. It was six years ago, and they let him. It was a friendly game. They let him play, and uh, he scored two goals. It was 2-0 to the other team. He scored two goals, 3-2 uh, for his team. And I was very proud. And I say to him, what's happened now? Everybody ask him. And he say, Daddy, you know, they're training three times a day a week. I say, come, you will not be a football player. He say, why? He say, because in your age, I just say, only three times a week. Why not six? Why not seven? Why not in the morning? If you want to be a football player, and I, I think Messi did it, you need to think always how to be a football player. If you, if you think about something else you will not do well
1: Avram Grant there on what is needed to reach the top in football uh, he also went on to cite three things he believed you need to succeed in any walk of life talent passion and mental strength um, Mike what did you think about growing up
2: well I mean uh, I was very lucky I didn't fortunately have to uproot my parents although they probably thought they, they were uprooted because they kept taking me around to different matches and, and having to get me there and And even on occasions, um, you know, um, they allowed me to go on a bus and do it myself because I wasn't a great lover of them watching me sort of play. So, um, you know, they would either drop me off or I'd get there to myself. But, um, um, yeah, you have to certainly, those three things that uh, were mentioned, the talent, the passion, the the mental strength. Um, I knew I had some passion for the game, but you don't know about mental strength and, and talent when you're young. You just know you like like the game, you enjoy it, and you want to play. There's something there about a competitive spirit as well, um, and that's what you do when you're very young. So I suppose you could say I split up the family because I never really, you know, saw dad a great deal because I was out and he was at work trying to make sure that I could actually play these games. And then my brother was the same. So, you know, we uh, we did have we were fortunate in a way that uh, the second job mum and dad did was actually uh, they were they were steward and stewardess behind a, a sports club. Uh, at, the, at the firm that Dad, dad played for, which what well, worked for Handy Pages and then NCR. And so we were very lucky as two young boys to be able to play sort of morning, noon and night. Now in the summer it was cricket and tennis and and you had sailing as well. You could ride your bike around there in those days and not be a problem. Then in the winter it was it was football, darts and table tennis. So, you know, <clears throat> when you talk about the passion as a youngster and, and, and that... It is right, you know, if you haven't got that passion, the talent won't come through, and then you won't understand much about the mental strength till later on, sadly, if you can get that earlier into somebody uh, and get them to understand it, because it does take some understanding, you know, what is mental strength and and what you need to do, and uh, it does take uh, sometimes longer for others to actually grasp what it is. Uh, and that's I think why some of the younger boys, say a say Gower, played so much better, and maybe he and both them, I don't know. Maybe because they were just um overtly more talented than 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 than, than the likes of myself. But um um yeah, I so suppose one of the things that uh, and I probably don't want to have a pop at the players today, but um when we when we started playing, um and it gets back to Avram Grant and saying, Well, you know, don't practice two, three times a week or you know, you've got to be every day, and that's what we did at the sports club. But I mean, you know, fortunately, because we had the weekend to do it, and we're out there every hour we could, um, running around doing things. But um, you know, when he came to my first few years here at Middlesex uh, as a sort of seventeen-year-old, you know, we, we all right, we, we didn't train as hard as they do now, but what we did do. Uh, for the, certainly, for the first two weeks, if we could get out into the nets, it was morning and afternoon, and it wasn 't just morning mm. and then once you did morning up but you 'd have a, a fielding session in there that was at least an hour long as well so you 're always practicing y- your skills mm. and you know you were doing it when you were stiff, you were doing it when you were cold, you were doing it you know because you know sometimes you had to do it not because you wanted to, but you had to because others wanted to so that 's when that sort of mental strength started getting, getting there but You know, again, if that passion's there, you don't mind doing it. And we didn't mind doing it. There were days where you were a bit tired than others, but that's the thing you had to do. You had to get strong, not just mentally, but physically, to do the job you had to do. So when I see the guys have a morning session and have the rest of the afternoon off, I found that quite strange. And, you know, especially pre-season, you know, you'd have thought you'd have, you know, most of the day. Um, And I don't know whether that's fair or not, but I I just get the, uh, sometimes... It might be different in different clubs, but you know, sometimes you, you don't see them practising twice a day with lunch in between as we used to. So again, um, I, I know they have to do more training, and I know they, they do that sort of thing, and, and they're possibly fitter, maybe, than we were, although we used to play train in the winter, playing football or playing squash or whatever, but um, I suspect they are probably fitter than us, although I wouldn't say they were that much fitter than Gucci probably, but he was always running and doing all sorts of things. But. <laughs> We were good enough to do what we had to do, but I think we probably spent more time on the skills uh, within within the game than perhaps in gyms and stuff.
1: And the sacrifice, I mean, we picked an example, quite an extreme example there of Lionel Messi. I mean, that's a huge sacrifice he made. But how much sacrifice did cricketers and yourself, did you make then? Well, you had to, um, you know, and and you became probably a little bit,
2: selfish for it, not because you wanted to be, but because you had to be. If you wanted to be the best, you had to be away, you had to be involved. And I, and, and I suppose the sacrifices came when you got married uh, and you started to have young children. And, um, you know, it, it is it is quite interesting how certain people deal with it, you know, and if you're going to get immersed in it and, and you're really sort of focused on, on your game, you know, and it, and it sounds horrible, but, you know, yes, Lionel took his his is, is family with him because he wanted them there because he was very young. Um, and then it would be sort of interesting to sort of, um, you know, family is so important. Family, it's interesting, when you're on tour, you know, the way I try to deal with it, so I miss them awfully, was try and put them out of your mind. And, and you know, try and just get totally focused on what we had to do. Um, and yet, when you got home, home was so important, it was something you, you, you desperately needed having been away roaming around the world. That sort of home base was so important you could go home and you felt like you were you were back and it was stable. You know, touring was very much a, a sort of a right route there, how do we deal with it? You know, you're on your feet, you deal with it, you know, things you, you, you've never seen before, let alone, you know, how your body feels. And, uh, and there were some real things you had to get your head around, you know, when you saw, you know, places like India with people on the streets and, uh, and uh, you know, it was just quite uh, hard to take, and then your own body and things you had to do to make sure you didn't get ill. And when you did get ill, it was it was something you'd never really sort of, you know, had to cope with before. Let alone try and play when you're not 100%. Um, you know, you're not physically sort of um, injured, but you're you know your body's not feeling 100%. So you had to learn to play with that and get out there and and. and uh, and make sure you did the best you could. So there were lots of things, but you know that the family side of things were horrible. I know my my eldest, who uh, w- got born in '83, um, was sort of in the middle of my sort of career, where for the first five ten years, it, you know, he didn't really see you know just that that age where I, I was always away. Um, and, and the number two son was sort of three, you know, '86 he was born he was a bit lucky because you know first three or four years I was you know I, I obviously ran about 1990 I, I didn't go very far so I was I was I was there all the time um, and so my 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 oldest one certainly felt a bit uh, left out I know my wife is very very good she's extraordinary really because you know at the end of the day um, you do have to be focused you do get on with your life and you, when you come home it's like you know two different sort of people again because you're used to doing what you've been doing up at this time and then you know she's had her routine so you've got your routine and, and when you do come home all you really want to do is just relax and just sort of sit on the sofa and watch watch all the Doctor Who things and Star yeah. Trek things you haven't seen and, and go through all the, all the bits and pieces. So I think that's a sort of picture that uh, you know and, and to be fair footballers don't go away that much. Yeah. You know when you think we were away for three or four months at a time totally away from the family um footballers you know will tour and go around Uh, certainly if you move country it's different yeah and your family's not there so you have to go back but you do have time to go back whereas you know when you're away for four and a half months and and when we played you know um it's changed fortunately that families can go out families do get paid for when we were there it was a you know You'd have a fee, and but if you if you brought the brought the wife out, which is an airfare and all the hotel bills, you know, didn't have much left to to show for you, and you were playing for England, sort of thing. So, fortunately, that's changed, and it's it's the right way round. So, yeah, there are many things, but I think cricket, more than any other sport, um, means you're away. Perhaps the golfing circuit, the tennis circuit, but they are always small little breaks. But when you're away, you're away, because we did two tours a lot of the time, or one tour that was a long tour. So it was always two to three months. Um, I'm not saying you know, uh, we're the only only sport that does that, but it does seem to be cricket does take that sort of time.
1: History and cricket with a Lord's podcast. 37 years ago, Derek Underwood took his final five-wicket haul at Lord's in a test match against the West Indies. The year was 1976, and it was the fourth time the Kent bowler, known affectionately as Deadly, achieved the feat. He's the only bowler ever to pick up two ten-wicket hauls in tests at Lord's, and was back at the ground recently for a book signing. I caught up with Underwood in the committee dining room and first started off by asking him about his first five-wicket haul here against New Zealand in 1969.
4: What I can recall is that the wicket was was wet, and I can remember bowling a lot at Glenn Turner, who was, I think, making his debut. I have an idea he batted throughout the innings, which, on a wicket that was really doing uh, enough, um, he batted brilliantly and it was nice for me to get a haul like that and, uh, in fairly early in my career so I was I was pleased to get on one that turned and in
1: 1974 against Pakistan 13 wickets in that match
4: was yes that was special? nice. I enjoyed that <laughs> I, I there, there were a lot of play- I I've, I've bowled a lot of Pakistan over the years and people like Zahir and Asif and Mushtaq and Majid wonderful players and it was nice to get them on a wicket that turned for a okay, <laughs> for, for, for once, and it, and here some water had seeped under the covers, and I would bowled round the wicket to the left, to the right handers for some considerable time, and lo and behold, I wasn't getting anywhere; the ball wasn't turning. And then I bowled at Wasim Raja, a, a left hander, and suddenly the ball seemed to be turning, and so I bowled over the wicket and bowled across the, the right hander, and we were we were in business, and. Uh, that was one that I'll always remember. Getting eight for fifty here at the at this well, this this great ground.
1: Derek Underwood, there, former MCC president, recalling bowling at Lords. Um, how good was Underwood? He was exceptional,
2: yes. I mean, uh, <laughs> and I suppose he was more exceptional as he, as he alluded to there when the wicket was slightly damp because of the pace he bowled the ball and his accuracy and his ability to to bowl a quicker ball at you. Um, and he would just. Be metronomic at times, you know. When you talk about bowlers who, who get into that sort of um, um, way of bowling, um, Richard Hadley was another one. Malcolm Marshall, another one. All the you know. You talk about great bowlers, um, and deadly certainly. When it was wet, was 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 unplayable. I, I do remember Mike Brearley, um, and he's very proud of it, and quite rightly so, um, playing at, at Canterbury on a, on a dampish wicket, and um, deadly was his, his very best, and. Um, most of us struggled a bit and um, and has got 100 that day and played magnificently well and, and he, he often regards that as probably one of his finest things and, and quite rightly so because Derek, you know, um, was quite incredible but the, it was a twosome really because, you know, I'm not sure many people could keep to Derek, you know, when he was turning and, but Notty was just unbelievable and, you know, when, when you're talking about taking take the ball up here it's bouncing and turn and you heard him talking about, you know, bowling over the wicket you know, and how much that's going to turn. How difficult that would be for a keeper to actually, to actually sort of um, navigate and uh, and keep to. So it's always a bit of a pair. But you know, Derek certainly with uncovered wickets and that was just you know huge. But you know, by the time <clears throat> you know you, you'd got to wickets being covered and being drier, um, he was still that good because even on wet wickets, you had to bowl a very good length because you know because of the wetness, it, it would stand up. If it was too short or, you know, you, you had to get the length right. And because he bowled it as a pace, you know, you you, you you just had to get it right. Because if he got the pace right, you know, you just hope you either missed it or, you know, you, you, you managed to managed to come straight through. But but certainly by the time he he had to bowl on dry wickets, um, he was still a huge handful on, on turning wickets because he had that ability to be there, but not quite perhaps as much as when he, he bowled on, on, on the damp ones, where he was just almost unplayable. Um, and you know, uh, he must have beaten the bat so many times, I suspect. Um, but again, he just kept coming back at you, back at you, and, and he was a you know wonderful sort of uh, bowler to have on your side because you know he he would be you know mentally strong, uh, and he was. Um, and for me, you, know, you talk about left-arm spinners. We had. One or two pretty good ones here at middlesex uh, in Edmonds and tufnell um y- You just sort of think, well, yeah, you know, would you rather have underwood and I suspect you you you, you know you, 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 with the guys we had you'd you'd say mate on dry pitches, maybe maybe not, but certainly on make ones well you know he was just a class above the rest
1: well, his record here was- Speaks for itself, 38 test wickets, an average of just under 17. Um, there's a great blog and video up on the Lord's website at the moment on Underwood. Just go to www.lords.org to check it out. Um, well, as the Ashes fever was building, I also asked Underwood what he recalled about touring in Australia. The answer he gave suggested that it ain't what it used to be.
4: The, the whole system has, uh, has changed for touring Australia. We, we used to leave in October and come back in March. Which, when you think about it was a long time to, to go on tour, and now they it 's all condensed, and so it 's very very different you You might play a test match in the old days and then have three or four days to to train, practice, perhaps go out and see a little bit of the place and so on and was and, and it gave players opportunities between test matches to to regain some form or for a player to get into the team and I thought this was all very healthy and, and, and whereas at these days obviously it's if you are in the first test match, there's a good chance you'll be there for all five, and uh, and, and I just think that it, it's players, in to a degree, miss out on their trip to Australia because all they see is the country from their hotel to the ground. Uh, whereas I think like to think that we also had a social role as well, and, and we had the opportunity to travel and see things that we would otherwise have not.
1: Derek Underwood on touring there and, and how it's changed. I guess two things really it certainly it obviously has changed but as you were alluding to earlier i mean maybe not for the worse you the family aspect of it is probably stronger now whereas maybe always talking about the social aspect of seeing the country and getting to know it maybe less so well i suppose you could say that actually now the families are are um out there and, and
2: do come out then you know actually you, you perhaps should start there a bit longer because it is important you know you remember you're playing cricket you know and, and sadly as i said earlier you do have to push the family to to decide to be that focused to be that sort of engaged yes you want the family there when they can be there of course you do uh, and, and, and that that's quite right um, but you know once you get to sort of playing cricket you know people say well you know if my wife's there I want to play better well okay fine um, yet yeah, things have changed but. The the thing to me is is that um, you know, we, we fell foul of this very, very much so sort of very shortly after, you know, we, we last won, well, when I last won them in eighty six was that we started the tours became shorter, you know, and and that to me really did a disservice to to, to cricket. And I think, you know, you can't just turn up in Australia and, and play a couple of, you know, two day matches or a three day match. You've got to get into the into the understanding that <clears throat> You know, you, you are going to be in a battle. You are going to have people who are going to be fighting for their lives out there. You've got to get into the mentality of the way they play their cricket because it is different. Um, you know, and, and and yes, we've played them here. So, you, but you don't. It's the whole country that gets that, that gets there, and and actually, you can play some good cricket that actually stands you in good stead. And, and we played all the all the states as as, as Deadly did as well, I'm sure. Um, you know, you, you, you would play three or four in a warm-up and then you'd have one between the first and second test match and then one between the second and third. All right, you wouldn't have one between four and five, but, you know, they were back-to-back test matches, always have been, and therefore you had that. But at least you had a period of time where, you know, you could actually, if somebody was out of form, if somebody did get some runs in that, you could put them in the next test match and therefore you weren't as Deadly alluded to there you weren't just sort of, if you are in the first one, you are in the last one. If you had injuries, if you had injuries, you know, what do you do? There's no matches for people to warm up in. What happens? Yeah. You know, so there's that sort of thing. So it's, it's not very fair on the players, I suspect, but it's the players that want it that way, apparently. They want it to be shorter. They don't like to be away for long. And I can understand that totally. I can understand that totally. You don't want to be away from your family, but, you know, you're representing England. Are you going to do a good job? What's the best way of doing it? Now, you know, things were the way they were in our day, things are the way they are now. But I still respectfully suggest that, you know, you need to play three or four good warm-up games of four-day matches um, to really give yourself a chance. And I think Andrew Strauss showed that when his team went to do that and said, right, we're going to try and win all these three games. you are not here just to practice. We're here to get in the winning mentality. And I hope that's, uh, you know, some of the guys have learned that from, from Straussie. And I hope Cookie tries to instill that too. Having said that, Cookie hasn't played, and three or four other our better players haven't. But um, you know, I think within that, um, you've got a situation where hopefully from here on in there's going to be two four-day matches, which I hope the uh, the, the full side will play in, and they will, will get some, you know, good rhythm and good, you know, understanding of what that what's going to
1: happen out there. And the social element that he was referring to there is that sort of being an ambassador for your country and getting out and seeing the country (coughs) and promoting cricket. I guess maybe something which, to a degree, is what MCC do when they're on tour.
2: Yeah, they do. And I I think that's possibly when you are up country. Yes, you can get out. And, you know, if you do play New South Wales, say up in Newcastle or somewhere, or you go somewhere in South Australia, a place called Woodner that we went to, um, you know, you're out in the country um, and you can play some... Uh, you know interesting cricket, but you do get out into there and see you know see a bit of the countryside and and see you know what's what is a vast country um, and uh, you get out to Bowerall and, and see bradman 's sort of museum and stuff like that or you can do um, and there are lots of places to see um, in and around australia um, but if you 're not playing the states you 'll never get there um, you 'll only play at the test match grounds which are which are wonderful grounds anyway but and you can see a little bit of the time but uh, i think derek's right there are two things actually two is is about the people but also the other's about the players you know we used to sit in the dressing room after every day if you if you had a if you were fielding you'd, you you know you'd uh, you, you'd go to your dressing room and the batting side would come in and bring some beers and you'd sit down and have a, a drink after the end of the play i know they can't do that these days but it, it, it's one of those things you know that the professional game has sort of said right we don't want to be too friendly with our opposition but you know it was a nice way to play the game when people did come in have a drink, you know, because it's 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 being able that mental strength, being able to sort of, you know, come off the field and just you know switch off and and actually you know, bear bloke mate, I you know, actually out there that's a bit of you know that's that's our business and you know we're we're up for it and we want to win and it's your business too, so we'll we'll have a bit of you know we'll have a bit of few words and we'll but you know we're having a beer now mate, good on you you know enjoyed it and. And I think uh, that's an aspect that I really quite enjoyed. You actually got to know the people. You became friends with them, friends for life. You can sit down and, he, you know. But if you don't get to know people, you know, to me it's uh, it's sad. And you do, you do, at the end of a series now. But I always quite enjoyed the that side of it.
1: Absolutely. And um, bringing it back to Lords now, um, finishing up busy Christmas period ahead uh, at the beginning of the podcast you said that you'd done more revision than you 'd done since school, so yeah certainly for the sgm <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yes it was a, it was it 's been been a very interesting you know, it 's a wonderful club there 's so much that goes on here um, Derek brewer and his his team do a great job, and uh, you know things are ever improving here and hopefully in uh, in two years' time we 'll be looking over at the Warner stand and seeing a wonderful new stand over there. That the members will be very proud of, and um, certainly it will get the ground up to scratch again because we're a bit behind on ICC sort of uh, uh, ground regulations for, for all that sort of stuff. So that would be nice. And then the next one is a tavern, and hopefully, uh, whilst uh, I'm in, in situ, we'll we'll get that underway too. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, again by the time the uh, you know you have the, the, the World Cup down here and and, uh, and India again you might even see a, a, another tavern stand. And then that, for me, means I've seen every stand here rebuilt at Lords, which is, uh, you know, amazing from what it was and what it is now. And it still sort of retains that wonderful sort of atmosphere. But, of course, you know, we've got that 200th anniversary, you've got Middlesex's 150th uh, anniversary, so there'll be a MCC President 11 versus a, a Middlesex President 11 at some stage during the summer. Um, we're going to have a, you know, wonderful weekend of cricket, uh... I believe uh, with Hertfordshire playing here, which is a, the side we played um, 200 years ago in the first match here um, at Lords, And then Harrow and Eaton uh, and I think Oxford and Cambridge are going to make up that weekend. And then of course the World 11s versus um, MCC, both women's and girls, which is tremendous. So. Um, on that side of the thing there 's lots to look forward to and there 's lots of events that are going to go on through the year and I think one of the big things that i i 'm very happy to work with our, our, our chief exec over uh, is, is trying to get in and around the local community um, and uh, we 've we've employed Laura Brown of course so everybody 's getting to know now our community um, manager and, and she 's doing a great job and and I hope we can become more user friendly within in and around the local communities because uh, being a local boy myself, Wilsdon just up the road, um, it, it, it's it's nice to see the ground changing and, and, and making it more accessible to, to others and and helping out in the community. We do a lot of help all around the world and and yet sometimes we just forget about what's happening around here so um, it's great that Derek has, has also decided he thinks that's a, a way forward So and I'm very happy to do that because that just ties in nicely with the work we do at the ECB as well and I think it's going to be good for the ground and, and all who sail in there at Lords.
1: Well, that's certainly a busy year ahead, and um, I wish you the very best of luck with it. Thank you. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Lovely. Well, many thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next month with more cricketing stories from Lords. So remember to follow us on Twitter. We're at Home of Cricket. Be our friend on Facebook. And for all the latest news from Lords, just go to lords.org. See you soon.